Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. There's no special announcements or anything, so let's jump right in. Starting us out, it's just about as niche and weird as it gets, which I love, by the way, but pre-orders are now open for an official re-release of the game Freefall 3050 AD for the Nuon. And the Nuon was a platform that was attached to a bunch of different DVD players in the early 2000s that also allowed them to play games. They had a custom controller pin on there, so you can't just use... Uh, basic controllers you had to use their specific ones and hopefully somebody will be reverse engineering that at some point soon but for now if you own the original controllers and the platform and you wanted to pick up this game now sound songbird productions has officially opened pre-orders on the re-release this this was the same company that did iron soldier 3 last year i believe and there are two editions of this one limited and signature Limited edition is the official re-release at $75 plus shipping, and the signature edition comes with a poster and a signature from the original creator, Tony Takoshi. So if you own a Nuon and you want to expand your library, this seems like something that you would want to seriously consider. If you own a Nuon and you don't own one of the controllers, but you're waiting to see if a controller adapter is even possible, Maybe consider this too, because then you'd have another game to play if that adapter comes out. No pressure on any of the devs working on this. There's one in particular that's looking into it, but I don't think anybody knows for sure if it's something that could happen. So I guess I would be a little bit cautious, but if you already own a Nuon and a controller, this seems pretty cool. So uh, links to everything that you would need to know about are right here in the post. Pre-orders are now open for the soundtrack to the game Gimmick on the original Famicom. You can get the vinyl version for $30 or a cassette for $12, and it's scheduled to ship in early next year. And I think this one's kind of interesting because I remember a lot of us using Gimmick to test audio and uh, EverDrive, Mister, and a lot of other ways to emulate these games because for a while it was really hard to get it to sound exactly like the original. And I think a lot of people have solved that in different ways over the years, but it kind of makes me wonder how exactly they're recording the audio from this in order to get it onto these formats because there was definitely 
wrong ways to do it and probably multiple right ways as well. But, you know, the technical side of this stuff always fascinates me as much as just listening to the music anyway. So if you're into this stuff, definitely check out Crystal's post and see if it's something you'd want to pre-order. And if you were one of the people that worked on getting the emulation accurate on this, you might want to pick up one anyway, just uh, just to kind of see how close it was to an original Famicom with this. But I still think it's pretty neat, and uh, hopefully they did a pretty good job with it. This week's podcast is once again sponsored by JLC PCB, and this week I want to once again show the factory tour, because hopefully by next week I'll be showing another PCB assembly project I'll be working on, as well as hopefully even showing the end result over the next couple of weeks, because it's an easier project, but one that might be a big help for people if it works. And if it doesn't, that's still fine too. You all could just laugh at me when it doesn't work, but it doesn't change how you would use JLC PCB. So let's see what happens at the factory once you've placed your assembly order, just to have this in your mind for when we start talking about the new project next week. So while I've never been to an assembly facility as impressive as JLC PCBs, I have been to places like it, and I can kind of walk you through what it is that you're seeing here. They have a giant warehouse of component preparation, and each shelf is numbered and corresponds to your order, so that when your order is ready, everything gets scanned in, as well as your PCBs and your stencils. And now, when you have a PCB assembly made, a stencil is required because everything's done through machinery for surface mount stuff. So a few weeks ago, I talked about having a stencil for making your own stuff on a reflow oven. Here's how it's done in a factory environment, where the machinery goes through and spreads the solder paste only on the areas of the PCB that require any of the components. Then it gets scanned through a different machine to make sure that nothing's splattered and everything lines up. And then comes my favorite part of watching these videos, the pick-and-place machine. These are different machines that go through and take individual components and place them exactly where they need to be on top of the existing solder paste. These things are so cool to see in person, and it's so interesting and fascinating to me how they get programmed to put everything in the exact place they need. But it's not quite done from there. While it's sticky on there, it won't be until it goes through the reflow oven where it's heated up to the correct temperature in order for all of the components to permanently bind to the board. Then it gets inspected to make sure there's no craziness on it and, you know, nothing splattered through. And then it's sent to the final through-hole assembly. And these are for scenarios like if you have a build that has a bunch of surface mount components, but then a few through-hole components like a SCART connector or a VGA connector. Those have to be soldered through by hand, and those are manually done by people on an assembly line who also do the final checks and finish it off to make sure everything looks the way it's supposed to be. So that's basically it. Check back next week and we'll start this assembly process from scratch once again. Todd from Retrofrog is doing another production run of the Neo to USB controller adapter that allows you to take Neo Geo controllers and plug them into pretty much any USB device. This board is based on McGyver's low latency Daemon Byte adapters, which average less than one millisecond of latency. Not one frame, one millisecond so this is basically a zero lag adapter especially in the confines of the neo geo where there's no light gun game so i would just in your mind when using this on the mister i would consider it a zero latency adapter of course if you're running through a pc or something else you have all that other software latency to deal with but overall i think this is awesome if you want to use the original neo geo control stick or the neo geo cd control pad this is kind of a no-brainer to pick up 
The one thing that I will note is that if you have direct wired uh, arcade sticks with a DB15 connector on them, it's, this will still work, but you need to wire buttons 5 and 6 manually. Now, that is as easy as popping open the 3D printed case and just adding two jumper wires to four pins, you know, jumping the two things together. But I actually think this is kind of a good thing for more of a general product because not everybody wired their controllers the same way. I have the way that I suggested how to do it in this video here. And if you wire it that way, sure, that's easy. You could have just made it um, however you know you wanted it. But there were a bunch of super guns over the years that used slightly different pinouts. So start, coin, and one through four were all were the same on, I think, all of them, which is why this adapter is just called the Neo Geo adapter, the Neo to USB. But wiring in buttons five and six, I think should be pretty easy for any arcade head to deal with. And it is much easier than the opposite. If Todd had hardwired this with buttons five and six for, let's just say the pinout we used in that video, and you had a different wired pinout, you would either have to rewire your controller, which doesn't make sense, or cut the traces on this board and then add the jumpers in. So by not connecting them at all, all you got to do is add some jumpers. It's as easy of a beginner project as you could possibly imagine. Um, and who knows if there's enough interest, which I, I don't think there is, but if there is enough interest, uh, let Todd know and he'll just make six button wired adapters at some point in the future. I just, I think this was a, a kind of a no brainer though. Cause if you're into wiring custom arcade sticks, you could jump two wires together on a controller adapter, but all that rambling aside, if you just want to use Neo Geo controllers on your mister or on a USB interface, this is about as easy as it gets. So thanks to Todd. And of course, thanks to Mick for making this design open source and putting out all of this great work. Humble Bazooka has just started selling a 3D printed replacement door for Panasonic FZ10 3DO consoles. So this is a quick and easy one, but I think it's really awesome that members of the community are paying attention to even the little details like this. But if you have an FZ10 that's missing the AV expansion door, you could purchase one right from Humble Bazooka for 10 bucks. So fair price. Uh, kind of a neat thing to finish off the aesthetics. Obviously, a dust cover door isn't going to change the performance of your 3DO, but I do think that if you've taken the time to take good care of your consoles and you have them displayed, having one of them with a, a naked side shot showing, I think 10 bucks is probably a worthy price to pay. So uh, while stuff like this isn't uh, isn't exactly as important as I don't know, their full Jaguar multi-out adapter with every video source and the network connection to it. I'm still happy that Humble Bazooka took the time to do it because I guarantee you there's a bunch of, of uh, 3DOs out there showing some leg that want to be covered up. Team VU Engine and Kevin Malat have just announced a brand new Virtual Boy game that's in development. This one's a 3D wireframe tank game, and it's been funded by sales of Kevin's HyperFlash and HyperBoy 32 ROM carts. So very awesome to see Kevin dump the money from his profits back into the Virtual Boy community. Super cool of him. And uh, there's some clips open now. Uh, there's a GIF that's available if, uh, if you want to see the basic idea of what to expect. But I'm always excited for new Virtual Boy games, and we'll keep everybody updated as there's demos or pre-orders or anything like that. Um, if you want to try the demo that's currently available, you would just need to do 
do it on anything that supports 32 megabyte ROMs, which are any of Kevin's carts or of course emulation as well. And if you want to learn more about the Virtual Boy and the different accessories and very cool things you could uh, you could do with it now, I would check out the live stream that Kevin and I did. That was one of those live streams where it probably could have been edited into a fancier high production video, but it would essentially be the same thing. Check out all the amazing accessories at first, and then if you want, hang out at the end for some demos of some homebrew. And of course, if you want to hear more from Kevin directly, check out the interview we did a while back. Stika just released a video that showed how Sega got into the culture of a lot of modern anime. And this was one of those videos that I started watching and I was like, oh, let's, you know, I always watch Stika's videos. Let me just check out what, what he's got for us this time. And I got really sucked into it because there were a lot of cool references and a lot of things that were constantly referencing Sega and a couple of funny Stika jokes in there. But I got to say, there were two things that absolutely drove me crazy. One that was a little less annoying was the round button at in the front of the Sega Master System in one of these. So it looks like a Master System. They did a decent job, but the power button is round, and that is never round on a Master System. But the one that absolutely drove me bonkers was a shot of a Sega Genesis and Sega CD, but the clip where that clips the two together was on the front, not the side. That drove me nuts. How could they have gotten that wrong? So... Uh, either way, um, I, I thought the video was great, and while this isn't totally a fit for what we would normally post on Retro RGB, I asked Stika to post this because I just wanted to talk about it and share it with you because I enjoyed the heck out of it, and I hoped that you all would too. So give it a try and see what you think, but I definitely think it is just very cool and fun to see all of these references, and also just so annoying that they got these some easy ones wrong. <laughs> Developer Joshua Campbell has just created an inventory list for all of the open FPGA cores that are available on GitHub, as well as programmed in a date code so that you can see when it was last updated. This is all using automated stuff, so there shouldn't be much manual intervention needed, which means that Joshua could walk away from this and it still should continue to update itself for at least the short-term future. And it comes in handy. Um, you can kind of see, if you're watching this on video, the different cores, but over on the right, you see the release date column, and you can see some that, you know, like today, for example, it shows that there was an update to the Genesis core by Eric Lewis. So if you have a pocket and you've loaded up the latest firmware with OpenFPGA, this seems like a really great page to, to bookmark and to just check every now and then, because there are a bunch of things that are being ported over. It's kind of going probably a lot slower than Analog had hoped to port stuff over, but there are working cores, and while a bunch of them are a little bit buggy, it's still really fun, and if you own a pocket, it really seems like something that I think it's worth your time messing around with. And I think as sales of the pocket actually materialize, and that is not a dig on Analog, for once, it's really not, it's just, it's a dig on all the whole global part shortage uh, in general, but once these things actually are able to be purchased, I have a feeling the interest would be a lot higher in this stuff. So uh, bookmark that page and take a look and hopefully we'll see people porting more stuff over or not. Who knows? But either way, if you own a pocket, this seems like something you're going to want to always check out. This week, I posted an interview with lawyer Keith Cooper, who is a partner at Morrison Rothman. And if that sounds familiar, it's because I interviewed Ryan Morrison a couple years ago. And the focus of this was clone companies. And while I did talk a lot about this a while back with Nick, I believe, 
a lot of the info, in fact, all of the info I got in that original talk was from lawyers, but it's so much better to hear it directly from a lawyer. And the best way, the best analogy for that is it's just like if I explain something that Steve taught me, you're almost always going to get a better explanation if you heard it directly from Steve, which I think is another good analogy because Keith is like the Steve of lawyers here. Digs in really deep, is able to, to explain this stuff with a lot of knowledge behind it. So I strongly recommend that if you make products that you listen to this start to finish, don't skip, don't listen to it in super fast forward listen to it and absorb it because a lot of developers have already commented either privately or right on the video that they listen to it and even though they kind of knew a lot of that stuff or, or all of it hearing it from a lawyer directly added a lot more perspective on it so i think this one would be a lot of help to a lot of people but now it's time for this week's mr updates care of lou from lou's retro source as usual i'm just going to skim through these and if you hear anything that piques your interest please check out lou's video and the post on retro rgb First up, Robert is continuing to make the PlayStation Core even more accurate, which is awesome. You know, some developers like to move right on to the next and then go back to make things a little bit more streamlined. Robert's really just sticking with this. I like them both, so thank you. Uh, Jimmy Stones is still working on the Sega Gremlin Core and needs to work on some sound stuff, as well as has been working on the BBC Bridge Companion. The TT to RGB Matrix project... TTY to RGB Matrix project. I knew I got that wrong. Now can load GIFs from an SD card. So now you can have animated images loaded on that. And as a side note, I have to get one of these. So in the comments, if you use these, what's the best one to get to mount in an existing arcade machine? So I have like a Sammy Video World that I think would be really neat to have replace the Video World logo and light with one of these LED Matrix things. So please let me know what you think because I just think that would be really awesome. Also, uh, core developer Javier has been working on a Zayn a Slena core. I just probably murdered all of that pronunciation. Except Javier, I know how to pronounce that. So my apologies, Javi. But uh, if you want to join the developer on Kofi, you can get some more detailed updates on this stuff. Um, also, Zez Retro just did a video on projector lag. And now that I'm saying this out loud, Lewis was supposed to post this on Retro RGB. So come on, Lewis. Stop uh, Stop showing selfies of yourself uh, preparing for a video and take that time to write the post because it's a very cool video and I just thought it was really neat. It's basically he goes into a giant auditorium and lag test stuff. So hopefully you'll find that up on Retro RGB as well. Also, Pierco is working on Arrow Fighters, which is a very cool game. I always liked that one. So Pierco's also done Cosmo, Cosmo Police Gavilon, the Game & Watch Core, and a bunch of others. So uh, now it's time to start the Arrow Fighter stuff, which is pretty awesome. Um, Hotego's team is also continuing to work on the Neo Geo Pocket Core and also wanted to take a look to see if they could help a little bit to streamline the memory for the Saturn core that SRG320 is working on. So that's all excellent news. And there was also a breakthrough with the OutRun core, thanks to Guierco. Once again, I, I don't intend to pronounce these things wrong. I'm just terrible about it. But they were able to help out and kind of point Hotego in the right direction on one or two things. So now the core boots. So we might actually be getting OutRun relatively soon there's a ton of development left to go but still just uh you know that's kind of awesome news 
Null object is fixing a couple of bugs for the cave shooter hot dog storm before it goes into beta testing. If you want to be in the pre-development of the game, just join on Patreon, which I always strongly recommend people do if you want to support the project and you have the ability to. Also, Anton Gale is developing a core for the Jalico Exerian. Um, And then there's also a, a brand new board from Extreme Mister, which... I've been talking to them, and I want to get to know a little bit more about it. So hopefully I'd have a video and a full overview soon for that one. But if you would like to have more info, definitely check out those links. And there's also a new EG2000 Color Genie uh, computer core that has been released, as well as some updates to the PCXT core and a few of the others. So uh, as always, thanks so much to Lou for doing these, because I could not keep up with all of it. My apologies to everybody whose name I get wrong. I never intend to do it. And I, I just try to make these kind of fast and streamlined. So if I get any of the info wrong, basically, if I say something out loud that you think, oh, that's neat, just go watch Lou's video because you're going to get the real info. I just try to make this fun and quick just to keep everybody in the loop. So thank you and thank to Lou. Thanks to Lou, of course, as well. My Life in Gaming just posted a really cool video about managing memory saves from PlayStation, N64, and a few others. And it was very cool to see this video in action. This is one of those that, for me personally at least, I was like, oh, it's kind of long. I'll watch a little bit now and then watch the rest later. And I ended up watching it start to finish. I thought it was really informative. I thought it had a lot of great info and tricks in there. And it's just something that if you use memory cards on any of your consoles, you're probably going to know one or two of these tricks but most likely not all of them. So I would strongly recommend watching this one if you own and play those consoles because it's, you know, it's informative, but it's my life in gaming. So it's also pretty entertaining as well. So thanks very much to Corey for putting that one out and looking forward to see what they got coming next. The Sega Saturn Shiro crew has just released the first edition of their Shiro magazine. And holy crap, is it awesome. Um, You know, I think we've all seen some retro-inspired magazines over the years, and some are absolutely excellent, and others are not. And I I knew the crew would not disappoint, but I didn't know that it would be this awesome. I mean, it, it is equal to or better than, and most likely better than most quality of the magazines you would have gotten back in the day. It looks amazing. The interviews are cool. The content is cool. I mean, this is this is one of the best retro magazines that I've ever flipped through ever. I read almost every word start to finish on this thing. Um, I just, I was really impressed. So if you're into the Saturn, if you follow the Shiro crew, which I would hope that you do if you're watching these videos, if you like physical stuff, I would strongly, strongly recommend picking this thing up. Um, you know, I know I sound like a shill, but uh, honestly, I'm not making an affiliate cut off of this. <laughs> Dave, Dave is paying me to do this. I, I just genuinely feel this way about it. I think it, I was so pleasantly surprised because I really expected a quality magazine, but I didn't expect this. So please check out their post for a lot more of the details. But honestly, if you like physical media and you want a really high-quality magazine with some cool Sega Saturn-focused content inside, this one's kind of a no-brainer. Crix has just announced that he's begun work on the Turbo EverDrive Pro. 
which is basically going to be like the current Turbo EverDrive. However, it will also play CD-based games. Now, there are some shortcomings, and the number one thing that you'll need to know is that it will only output audio, CD audio, in mono, because that is a limitation of the bus that's on the TurboGrafx and PC Engine that is not a limitation of this. So any product that would be released that goes into the Hue card slot that also emulates CDs would also be mono only. Now, maybe Cricks could kind of figure out some neat way to have stereo audio out and mix the audio with the other one. I don't know, it's Cricks. He'll always find some interesting way to go about doing this. At the moment, there's no prototype to show. Uh, he just manually wired a Mega EverDrive Pro into a cartridge adapter and reprogrammed the FPGA for Turbo Graphics use. Now, this is not going to look like this in the production stage. It's probably going to look like the Turbo EverDrive now with a FPGA on it and maybe a different cover or something, but it's kind of fun to see prototypes getting wired up like this. Um, and at the moment, I mean, that's really the only uh, the only thing that's guaranteed. You know, Crix is working on it. It's going to play CD games. There's no way to route stereo audio through it, but we'll see all of the other features that happen afterwards. Hopefully he could integrate in arcade card support and all that other stuff. And this is pretty neat because this would also allow CD playback on hopefully even the duo devices because you should be able to launch through there, which those devices you can't have an ODE with at the moment. So that would be really cool if like you had your duo that you've recapped, because remember those are leaky consoles, so you're definitely gonna wanna recap those, but it's in great condition, everything's working, but you don't wanna use your CDs every time because you wanna keep that laser fresh. So, you know, for casual play, just play everything off of the Hue card ODE and then kind of figure out a different way to do it. But all that's just speculation. I'm just excited to see another cool product. So if you want more info, check out Ronnie's post. Check out the video that Crick's posted. And whenever there's some more solid news, we're, of course, going to post here right away about it. So uh, thanks to Crick's for continuing to make cool stuff. I know I talked about this last week, but I had to follow up with this one. I just did a live stream where I assembled a purple shell for the Super Nintendo, the clear shell from Retro Gamer Store, and I love it. I like it so much more than I ever would have expected to the point that even after the three hour long stream was done, I took it back apart to paint the cartridge flap uh, purple and also the EXT port on the bottom. The EXT port didn't come out that good, but the rest did. And I just think it looks awesome. You have this beautiful clear purple shell. You have purple front controller ports that I painted to match the purple buttons as well as the, the cartridge tray. So I just think, I just am so impressed with this. Um, th these are pre-production units. So if you see in the post or anything else, there's scratches on it. That's because it's not a production unit. But even with the scratches, I just, I thought it was absolutely awesome. So if you don't want to sit through a three-hour live stream, which I, I don't blame you, there's a couple of social media posts, which I have linked directly in the description that kind of show this thing off, as well as links on where to get it. But in that same stream, I also checked out two other things. One was the production version of the clear Genesis shell, 
which is equally as awesome as I thought it was the first time I did the live stream, except crystal clear now. And this is the perfect example of pre-production versus production. This has no scratches on it. It looks great. The IO port and back came out awesome. Although if you're watching on video, I'm having a hard time angling it here. <laughs> but everything came out great. I thought it was absolutely beautiful. And I, I was really happy to, to get this one done. And I think my trick for even aligning the uh, the logo here worked by putting using scotch double-sided tape and kind of doing it that way. I think, uh, I think even that kind of worked out. And I was really impressed with this as well. Maybe we'll see some neat overlays from graphics gear or something, getting a, getting us some high definition graphics. But uh, honestly, I just think this was very cool. And and what I thought what I thought was going to be neat, and I had no idea I was going to like it this much, was the clear Famicom top. Now, once again, this is a pre-production unit, so there are going to be scratches. I believe there's going to be a sticker that goes in the original location as well. But I just thought this was so cool. And I don't know why, but I think this one is my favorite of all the clear retro game restore shells. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's a rhyme or reason for it. I just I love it. I think it's so cool. So... Um, also, if you watch the live stream, the hot glue trick for this thing, for the eject tray worked absolutely perfect. Um, it's old and brittle plastic, so when I went to release the tabs, it broke the tabs on this. So I put a little dab of hot glue on the inside, I pushed the connector on, I left it upside down overnight, and it worked perfect. And this is, uh, I know there's a lot of people that love to hate on hot glue, but this is the perfect use for it, because if I ever need to remove it, I could just kind of wiggle it around and pop it right off. It's the exact reason why you would want to use glue, because you don't want it to be permanently affixed in case you need to take it apart again. So I thought this was awesome. Uh, I really enjoyed doing that stream. Thank you to everybody who hung out. It was a blast. But honestly, these are all very cool. And if you wanted a really good idea of what to expect, check out the stream in that post. And links to all of the Retro Game Restore shells are in that post as well. So uh, definitely check those out. Before I go, I just wanted to let everybody know Jimmy Hoppe just released part two of his VHS tape Japanese gaming video, and I liked this one a lot as well. So I didn't want to spam the website just with every update to this, but I did want to let all of you know that if you watched the first one, definitely check this one out. I know YouTube subscribe things are always so weird. You click on subscribe, but you don't get notified. It doesn't pop up in the thing. I don't know. It's it's frustrating. So I figured I would just let everybody know. And if you enjoyed it, definitely subscribe and do whatever crazy things YouTube makes you do to get notifications on it. And if you don't like it, whatever. I'm not going to waste any more of your time on it. Well, that's it for this week. I know I'm still behind on a bunch of stuff. I know there's still a few people that I haven't gotten back to. My apologies. There's a retro tank update that I haven't posted about yet, but I'll get to all of that as well as maybe even a mini product review for next week, but I'm trying my best. So hopefully I'll catch up as soon as I can. Either way, thank you so much to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way possible, including just by spreading the word, because these things need to grow in order to maintain. So without you bringing on new supporters and helping tell people about what we do, this would never continue. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.